Avred, yeah. So um, slightly different uh, Sunday morning, uh, but we've been framing it for a couple weeks now. So if you didn't know it was coming, uh, we're here. Um, so, man, Easter, right? We've been going through the last four weeks, right? It was Jesus' triumphal entry, uh, or his epiphany, excuse me, where he began his ministry, his triumphal ent- entry where he was established king. Um, and then now we're here. Um, you know, God established his, his kingdom. What does it mean uh, to live life with this Christ living with you, right? This, this walking daily with Christ. And so um, this sermon ish panel discussion question thing uh is titled what i don't get is and we solicited questions for the past two weeks for you guys to yeah what are some tough questions right in this daily walk with christ how do how does this reconcile or i don't get this part of what it means to live um uh in light with christ and so um yeah, this is the opportunity where we are going to answer those questions that have been burning on your heart about this new life with Christ and how it affects your everyday life. Um, and maybe you feel like questions are not okay, or maybe you feel like you need to push them off until uh, you have that um, quote-unquote better walk with God. Um, and we're all here to say that's a terrible idea. Um, we celebrate questions. They are a beautiful um, representation of the human life. You will face questions. You will face doubts. You will face challenges. And we believe that it's actually in those questions that you draw closer to the Lord, that your walk becomes more rich and more full. And so we want to, in today, celebrate those questions that you guys have asked us um, but just to also frame this up in a way that we may not get to your question, um, we encourage you, keep asking questions. We want to um, be a space. Hillcrest, we believe that questions are valuable, that they promote something internal that's really rich and good, and so we want to continue to encourage you to ask questions. So um, with us, we have Bethany and Neil. Um, Bethany and Neil have been a part of uh, Hillcrest culture for quite a few years, and so um, just in case you don't know them, we're going to have a short introduction. Bethany, tell us a little bit about yourself. So my name is Bethany Grenwig, and I have been here for roughly, I always look at you and ask you, like, how long have I been here, David? I've been here longer than David, Um, so he wouldn't know the answer. Um, I I would say um, Isabel was about two years old, so that's about eight years now that I've been around Hillcrest, and so I'm a mother of two, and my husband is Tim, and he does some background work here with the with the IT stuff. So um, don't ask me anything computer related. You can ask my husband. Um, so those are two titles that I wear, and I have many more titles, but those are the two that I'll share with you this morning. Awesome. Yeah, Neil, what, what you you like a you're just like a nobody around here. It's not like you're looking to be an elder candidate or anything of that sort. Like Nothing like that at all. No, no, no. Um, so Neil Gammon, and I've been coming to Hillcrest for about 14 years now uh, with my wife, Magda. We, um, um, one day we're looking for a local church. We had been going to a church on the west side of Madison, and it just was too far to drive to be able to plug in and really um, uh, be part of a church community and family. We came to Hillcrest. 
one Sunday morning and have never looked back. So been over 14 years now. So we also have two, uh, two kids, Graham and Theo, um, and have been serving in various ministries uh, throughout uh, Hillcrest uh, over the years and um, just really appreciate and love this, uh, this community that we have here. Yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, David, kick us off. You know, we've been talking about this great commission versus uh, maybe what others might see as the um, functional commission yeah. and what's the difference of those two. Yeah, absolutely. And my name is David Bartosik. I love being one of the pastors. Hard to believe. Three years you've been stuck with me. Hard to believe. Three years coming up in, uh, in, in August. And so uh, we've been walking through Easter, four weeks of Easter, where we walked through Jesus teaches. And we looked at the Beatitudes. Jesus then enters. We looked at the triumphal entry. Jesus dies and rises. And now Jesus reigns. And so this morning, that I hope this continued life we live, it is the greatest opportunity any human can experience, seeing Jesus for who he is. He is the king. And so we follow his call to be residents of his kingdom, living in the context of eternity. Right now, in the context of eternity, rejoicing in kingdom things. Not just temporary things that come and go, but rejoicing in kingdom things and pursuing the joy that he and he alone can offer. But here's the challenge that sometimes happens in the local church. And this is coming a quote from a guy named Will Mancini, and he says, often we in the local church, as we live out this kingdom life, we don't live out the great commission that Jesus says. Here's Jesus' great commission. But sometimes we live out a functional great commission. Here's what Jesus says as he's leaving. Now the 11 went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some had doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, this incredible commission he gives to his followers, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. And we hear that and we go, hallelujah, amen. That, that's the life we want to live. But here's what tends to happen. Broadly speaking, the local church is dramatically overprogrammed and underdiscipled. That we begin living out this functional great commission where we go into all the world and we make worship attenders, baptizing them in the name of small groups in order to serve once or twice a month. I'm going to say that one more time just so it lands. Rather than going to all the world and make disciples, we've turned this commission into going to all the world and make more worship attenders, baptizing them in the name of a program, small groups, so that we can serve once or twice a month. At Hillcrest, we are desperately trying to live out what Jesus calls this great commission, where he says, all authority in heaven has been given to me, given from, has been given to me, and he's now passing that authority to his followers. So we live Monday to Saturday. Just wrap your head around this. If you treasure Jesus, you're going with Jesus' authority to your workplaces, into your homes, to call people to follow him. He says, go therefore. And sometimes we hear that as an imperative. Like, oh man, I better get busy and I got to go to these, these foreign places. Instead, go therefore actually is as you go. As you go through your Monday to Saturday, live with this authority that Jesus has entrusted to us 
To do what? To go and make disciples of all nations. Now, now sometimes that could become so just abstract. And so at Hillcrest, we're trying to clarify what we understand Jesus to call us to. And there's a simplicity to it of three lifestyles of a disciple. A disciple is just someone who follows Jesus through his word, who actively wants to build community and share relationship with other people that are following Jesus. And then we don't stay in this holy huddle. Instead, we seek transformation in, in the world around us. It is a beautiful, simple process of those three relationships. And so that's all we want to be. We just want to be people helping people find life with Jesus one life at a time. And that helping can take a variety of forms, ways. It gets expressed in a lot of different ways. You've heard me say, those underwater basket weavers are going to have to hear about Jesus from someone else other than me. Packer fans, they might have to hear about Jesus. We won't go there. But there's a simplicity to it. And what happens when those disciples who are finding life with Jesus go and live their life? They help others. They go on mission. They help others find life with Jesus. And what happens when a community of those people get together? It's just a community, a micro community of disciples living together. That's all we're trying to build around here is a disciple living on mission to try and build more communities like Hillcrest. And we have them in micro communities. We call them life groups, but don't think of them as a program. Think of them as a community of disciples trying to live out their life of following Jesus. And so here's a quote that resonates with me. Sometimes it feels like we just force ourselves. We just got to figure it out and will it. Instead, you can't give what you don't have. You'll often hear some of our takeaways on Sundays. It's less about do and more about continue to experience more of Jesus. You can't give what you don't have. And you can't lead where you won't go. And you always reproduce who you are. You always reproduce who you are. And so, when Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples, he also says, baptize them. So if you've never been baptized, this is kind of a beautiful expression of what it means to find life with Jesus. <laughs> and yet we don't want to just stay and be baptized. I know, that's the problem. And Bethany's yeah. sitting just far enough away. Neil chose wisely to sit a little further. Oh, man. But we don't just want to stop there teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And so for us, every week, what do we do? It's a big fancy word called exegesis. All it is is just reading the Bible for ourselves. I love when someone like Jack tells me, hey, you know Casey loves you? To which I go, I believe you, Jack. But to hear Casey tell me for herself that she loves me makes all the difference. All we're doing, exegesis is a big word to just hear from God that he loves us. And then as we read the Bible, we begin developing this theological grid for our decisions in life. And then when we encounter one of those things in life, Based upon that grid, we make a decision. But sometimes it feels like I'm not where I want to be. Do you think that's okay? We're all in process. Some of us might have a lot more of that intellectual following Jesus mind. Man, you just feel it, right? They're just brilliant. Others, you're just around them and there's this warmth where they just build community naturally. And then there's others that just can't help in every situation. They just want to seek transformation. 
we're all in process. And so as we're in process, there are questions that come up. And so we asked over the past few weeks, what are some of those questions? And so we wanted to explore some of those questions collectively that as followers of Jesus try to live out this life, what I don't get is blank. And so I'll turn it back to you, Jack. Yeah. So I hope you heard that as well. Like being in process means that we don't have all the answers. Big emphasis. Like we've, we actually took time this week to search scripture, to be in community, and to develop what, what we think are answers that the Lord has given us through his word. But that doesn't mean that we have all the answers. We want to be a place where asking questions is absolutely welcomed, and that journeying to find the questions is absolutely appropriate, right? Like you're not going to come to someone and go, what is, what is this? And they're going to have the answer right out of the gate. None none of us have that ability. Um, But rather, um, it's a journey. Everything is a journey. So um, we've kind of framed this morning in four four categories. Personal and emotional challenges, spiritual disciplines, cultural issues, and theological issues. And so we're going to begin with personal and emotional challenges. And the question is, how can I know that I am saved? Like, really, how can I know that I am saved? Yeah, so I'll I'll start with that one, Jack. Um, You know, we obviously had a a collection of questions to go through. We're not going to be able to get to them all uh, this morning. But as we started to look at all the questions that were put in, there were some really good ones. This particular question really bubbled to the top. And the reason for that is because it really has some eternal ramifications. I mean, this is a really important theological, personal spiritual question that you need to be asking yourself. Um, and some people we know have, have struggled with this. And so, uh, once again, we don't have all the answers up here, but we're going to, you know, share our thoughts. And, and if you're struggling with this question out there, we definitely would encourage you to, uh, to seek out others to, to talk through it and just yeah. make sure that you have this right. Because once again, there's, a, there's an eternal component to this that you want to make sure you get right in this life. So, um, so with that said, um, and as we've already kind of highlighted, uh, this may look very different for everybody. Um, you know, the, the way that the um, relationship that you have with Jesus may be a little bit different for you than it might be for the next person next to you. But in general, if you kind of um, do some self-reflection and think through things, you're potentially going to land on um, a very comfortable place where you know uh, where, your, uh, where your future is uh, with Jesus. And so, so with that, and, and I just want to kind of give a little personal uh, component to this as well. So as I was growing up, um, I was uh, saved at a fairly young age, around 11 years old, and um, grew up in the Baptist church. And for anybody that's uh, attended church in the South, especially the Baptist church, you may have known something called uh, revivals. And so basically what that was is uh, through a, a given week, um, the church would have a, almost like a sermon every night throughout the week. So, you know, Sunday right up through uh, until the following Sunday, they would bring in guest pastors and they would talk yeah, about... They could only handle David once a week. Correct. They're thinking every night. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, Man. So be careful if you head down south. But... Um, so with that said, though, so these revivals, really what it ended up being is there was a lot of fire and brimstone talk. And so you had people that had been Christians for 30, 40 years, and 
they were questioning their faith uh, at the end of that week. And so with that said, uh, if you're questioning your, your faith out there, you're, you're not alone, I guess is really what I'm, I'm trying to get out there. So, um, but just some, some practical things to think about as you ponder this question. Once again, it's a personal question. Nobody can tell you the answer, uh, but really it's up between you and the Lord is to talk through that. And so some things to think about, though, is where do you spend your time, treasure, and talents? Um, you know, the Lord has blessed us all in unique ways, and how do you use those talents? And if you're using them in kingdomly ways uh, to, to bring Him glory, whether that be on a Sunday morning or even out in the world, whatever the case may be, that might be one indication that, um, uh, that, uh, that you have a relationship with the Lord. How do you spend your time? Do you pray? Do you seek Him in His Word? I mean, that's a very important component to the Christian walk, and those are things you should be doing as a Christian is seeking that out. And once again, we're not all perfect here, but at the same time, having that desire to do that uh, is certainly a very important thing. Um, how do you respond to uh, trials? When you find trouble in your life, where do you go? Do you look up or do you look around? Do you, look, do you focus on things internally and try to solve everything yourself? Or do you turn things over to the Lord? And once again, we're all in different parts uh, of our walk. So it may look differently for everybody, but that's, uh, that's a pretty important piece too. Um, and uh, the category of sin, um, we are all sinners. We all fall short of God's glory, but how do you, uh, how do you deal with that sin? How do you reflect on that? And um, do you, have you been seeing some victory in areas maybe that you weren't seeing before you were saved? So honestly, I could probably go on and on, but I want to make sure that I give Bethany a chance too, because I know she has some really great thoughts on this subject. Yeah, that's so good. And, it, and just like not an not obligation, right? Time, treasure, talent, repenting from sin, not out of a uh, shame-based transformation, which we believe is actually really damaging to your soul, but rather out of a, wow, I can't believe that I have the love of God that has been poured out for me, that is stirring a heart, uh, a heart change. If, that, if we're seeing the fruit of that, right, and the root of it being like, ah, this love of the Lord, that transformation is huge. So thank, yeah, that's good, Neil. Bethany, what you got? Yeah, so I want to go back to like a very basic understanding. And like in Romans 10, 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? So if we have an understanding of what God's word says, and we know that God is not a man that he should lie, we can stand firmly and boldly on his scriptures. So it says that if you confess with your mouth. So there's an importance here of doing both things, right? Confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. If you have one thing and not the other, right? There, there's grave error in that. And so when we talk about being baptized, right? There, there is a believing in your heart probably that transpired. And then you are saying, I want to confess before my church, right? I want to confess to the world. So you're doing two parts, right? And it is not um, something that, salvation is not something that we can earn in and of ourselves. As you heard Neil speak, it's not by works, but it is by grace. And thank God it is by grace, because none of us would measure up. Um, none of us would be able to do enough to earn our salvation. 
Um, the confusing part, I think, sometimes in scripture um, is like when you hear um, scriptures, like for instance, um, Matthew 7, 21 and 23, where it says, <clears throat> not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father, for he is in of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, these are people that know the Lord's name, right? Lord, Lord, we did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, evildoers. And and I think here he's really talking about, if you, if you examine um, in Matthew, he's really talking about false prophets, those who actually did not believe in their hearts, those who were coming and giving a false testimony of who, who Jesus was and believing in something other than the true Jesus, right? And so, but it is sad and it really breaks my heart, actually, because I know that this is true even in the church, right? This happens in the church. People who were prophesying in, the, in, in his name and driving out demons. And really, I think it's just this heart posture that you continually go back and seek the Lord, right? And, and because what happens is there, when, when salvation is upon you, when you have received salvation, there is a genuine appeal towards working out our faith through true repentance. And it's not just a one-time repent, repentance. It's a daily repentance. Sometimes for me, it's an hourly repentance, right? <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> obedience to God's word, right? We, we are seeking out obedience to his word. We are in his word because we want to know what it says. And we are seeking out to follow his will, for our lives, right? A good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit, right? So when you see those things worked out in your life, I think you have this deeper assurance, and only you, that's only between you and the Lord, right? Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Um, question number two, how do I navigate depression? Are Christians even allowed to be depressed? David, what do you got? Yeah, and we're, and we're going to keep hustling through this. So this might be not as full of an explanation as you'd want, but we're going we're gonna to try and move through it. But, but I just go, John 1, right? This light and darkness. Here, here's, what, here's what John tells us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God, and all things that were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of man, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, I don't know what darkness might be attempting to cloud your life, but, but here is our hope, right, that the light actually casts out the darkness. And, and so uh, I don't want you to pretend that suddenly all the circumstances are, are, are good. The, the bad news really is uh, a significant and real battle that impacts many lives, including Christians. Uh, and, and that darkness could tend to lead us to lose hope in some very significant and sad ways. And yet the good news, there is hope and healing in Jesus. But David, I don't feel that right now. David, I'm not feeling that hope and healing right now in the midst of my circumstances. And I, I wish I could just 
just to make it better for you. I, as a pastor, as your pastor, I just want you to be happier in Jesus tomorrow than you are today, and, and I just wished it would immediately happen. And yet, I, all I got is we just keep going back to what we believe to be true. Thinking leads to these emotions in our life, leads to the behaviors that we live out. Yeah, absolutely. And not, not taking lightly, right? Depression is a heavy thing. It's very much a um, a problem in our culture and in our society. Um, but believing these truths, the, the truths that the Lord has given us, uh, provides such a deep well of hope um, that we can constantly return back to. So, absolutely. Um, yeah, Bethany, what do you got? Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, the question is um, a little bit challenging to, for me because I think having depression and allowing depression are two different things. And hear me out on this, because I, I, I have struggled with seasonal depression in my adult life. Um, so I'm not trying to, you know, down pardon, you know, depression or these things. But I think on our own, um, we, can't, we can't navigate things like depression on our own um, or any other struggle in our life, really. I mean, um, we can't do it effectively on our own. And so we need to, um, I believe, surrender all of our limitations to the Lord. So no matter how big or how small they are, um, we need to surrender them to the Lord. And we need to recognize our dependency in Him knowing that he can work through our limitations and he can heal our limitations. And so um, 2 Timothy um, 1 verse 7 says, For God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And so when I think of depression, I think of a lack of power, right? We, um, our body is sometimes not in control. And, and yet the Lord said, God has not given you the spirit of fear or anxiousness, right? He's given you a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. People, do you know what a sound mind means? It means a clear mind. God came to bring order to the earth and he came to bring order to your life, right? And so when I find that I am struggling, it is not something that I can muster up inside of myself and say, I'm going to create a sound atmosphere for myself today so that my mind can think clearly. It is a high dependency on the Lord. Um, and you know what else? I think um, Jesus was really in the business of healing people. We see that all throughout his ministry. Um, I think I really do think that it would be wise for us to follow in his footsteps, praying and believing for entire whole healing for our bodies. And we may never see it, but we can have hope and faith and belief that he will heal us, right? If we do not have faith, right, that's where the enemy can really sneak in and try to cloud our mind, cause us to doubt God's word, and then we become ineffective tools for Christ, 
right? I think that's what's really going on here. Any struggle that we face, whether it be depression, whether it be a actual, like a, a blood, I think about the woman who had issues with blood, right? Um, we, she was, Jesus was walking through town. I'm taking longer than yes, I. You are. I yes, it's all right. Jesus was walking through town, right? <laughs> and she knew he was in town and she ran to him. Jesus is in the house this morning. If Jesus was walking through, you guys, if Jesus was walking through, would you run to him? Would you for the healing that is yours in Jesus' name? Sometimes we do not. Sometimes we do not, and I'm speaking to myself. Sometimes I do not run to him when I ought. She suffered for 12 years, and you know what he said to her? This is so good. I brought my tissues up here because I knew. Uh, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Your faith. Right? And so this is such a sweet reminder, right, that our faith has made us well. And we can believe for healing in our life for something as big as depression. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, man, well, let's move on to the next category. Sorry, Neil, we'll come back to you. Um, so spiritual disciplines, and this is kind of a really, a really good one. Um, and uh, just thinking about the cultivating uh, your own life so that you have this outflow of, um, of yearning for the Lord. And so um, how do I know if God is talking, uh, talking to me? If God is really knows everything, or sorry. Yeah, how do I know if God is talking to me? And then also, if God really knows everything, why, why am I even praying? Uh, Bethany, we're going to come back to you. David, let's, yeah. go, let's go to you first. Um, yeah. So, so Bethany is also going to answer this one, and she's got a great response for me. I'll let her start, because I know Joe have 30 seconds to wrap that up. Okay, sure. It's like right. we plan this stuff, we right? Did. You guys understand there is an element of organization and planning that takes place. Yes. Okay, so prayer is, um, I love prayer. I absolutely love prayer, and I know that is not um, a common opinion, um, sometimes in the house of the Lord. <laughs> um, and people, we, I think sometimes we get um, bored, and I, and I, you know, I've, there have been times in my life where, so I'm going to answer the question on prayer first because I feel like I need to answer that first. Um, <clears throat> so prayer sometimes suffers in, in the lives of Christians. I want to read, read to you one quote from, I've got so many things in my lap here this morning. You can totally tell I'm a mom. Um, I've like came all prepared. Um, so, okay, here, here's a quote from this book called Too Busy Not to Pray. Mm. Most of us have to admit that we don't pray that often about our deepest needs. We get faint-hearted. Mm. We begin to pray, but we soon find our minds wandering, and we realize mm. we're using empty phrases. Our words sound hollow and shallow, and we start to feel hypo hypocritical. Soon we give up. It seems better to live with almost any difficult situation than to continue to pray ineffectively. <laughs> 
Has that, does that like resound to anyone? Because it totally resounds to me. I have had many years where my prayers felt ineffective um, and kind of like a waste of time. And I, I easily got bored, right? So I think we need to understand what prayer is, right? And prayer is our most intimate communion with God. It is our most intimate communion with God. Right? So God, knowing everything and with the power to dictate all things, he chose to work through man from the beginning with Adam. Right? He didn't design for himself to not work through man. So he's calling us into relationship, into partnership with him, into sonship, into daughtership with him. There is relationship. If relationship is a two-way street, it is not a one-way street, right? And so um, he's calling us to commune with him. Um, Jesus modeled prayer for us very beautifully. He, be, very beautifully, he prayed his Father's will into existence. So there is something about God choosing us to pray His will into existence. Why? I I don't know. Why did He choose us? We're so fickle. We're so. Uh, you know what? I forget who I am by the end of the day sometimes. It, it's, I don't know why he chose us, but he loves us and he chose us and he desires relationship and partnership with us. And so um, yeah, we, we look back to Luke, right? On last week, you know, when we talked about Easter Sunday and um, beforehand, you know, when Jesus went out to pray and the disciples were there and he, t- he told them, um, Pray so that you do not, so that you will not be tempted, right? And then he went off to pray. And what did the disciples do? They they fell asleep. They fell asleep. They were bored. Their prayer it was they were empty, right? They fell asleep. And then he came back and he said, "What are you doing? Wake up! Pray so that you do not enter enter temptation, right?" And then he went off and and they fell asleep again, you guys. So and then when they woke up. This is what happened, you know, when um, those who came to, to take Jesus away. What did Peter do? He was like, he took out his sword and he like cut off the ear of a soldier. And he, he was ready for a physical violence. He was ready for a physical violence. He was, he was not ready for the spiritual battle, right? The one that Jesus had been telling him all night to prepare for. We know that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We know that our wrestle is against in the spirit realm, right? Against powers and principalities. And so I think to this point, you know, we have to understand that we must be battle ready. And how do we do that? I believe that is through prayer on our knees, right? Um, and so how do we know that God is talking to us? I, through prayer sometimes, right? That is one way that if we spend time in prayer, um, his Holy Spirit does something in our lives that um, I, I, I don't think that I can even put human words on what that may feel like or look like to you. It may look completely different to you than it does to me. Um, 
I think that God th speaks to us through his scripture, his holy scripture, his holy word, his living word. It is not a dead thing. It is not dead words on this page. These are living words, right? And even last week we heard in Luke 24, and, he, and the, the disciples were on the road with him, right? And they did not know it was Jesus after he, has, he had risen. And once Jesus revealed himself to them, they said, did our hearts not burn when he revealed the Holy Scriptures to us? Did your, do your hearts not burn, people, when you are reading the word? Because it is alive. It is truly, truly a living word. And so God is speaking to you through scriptures on Sunday, but he is speaking to you through scriptures on Monday morning when you wake up on Monday night when you read before bed. Whatever time you spend in scripture, he is speaking to you. Um, dreams and visions are another way that God speaks to people through his creation. If you love God's creation, he speaks to me every day through his creation. When the birds fly overhead, when I find a beautiful rock, who is the rock hound in the house? Wasn't that last week so we that talked was. about? Yeah, and so he, there are things. And I, and I want to tell you something, one last thing. Because if you sense, I know, there's always one last thing. There, there's always one last thing, Jack. So, but if you sense the Lord is speaking to you in a mighty way, like if you feel in your bones, in your heart, a holy reverence, do not put off for tomorrow what the Lord is asking you to do today. Do not... Like, don't even leave your seat this morning if the Lord is putting something on your heart. Spend the time. Give up your afternoon. Give up your plans wherever you have to be. Because if the Lord is visiting you, isn't it better to respond to the Lord than to go on with our own agenda? So do not, do not put off till tomorrow what the Lord is asking you to do today. Yeah, absolutely. David, what you got? Yeah, and so just briefly to build on that, right? It, it is this beautiful, this beautiful idea. How do you know God's talking to you? You know, I'm watching Eden. When Eden hears my voice, she turns, right? How, how do you recognize God's voice? You're in the text. You're hearing his voice relentlessly. So when you hear it in your Monday to Saturday, you know. I'm not surprised. Like, I wonder who that is. When you hear his voice through his word, and if God knows everything, why pray? Here's three words I have for you, right? The beauty and the mystery of some of these tensions. I, I don't know. I don't know how we, how we fully understand that reality that God knows, and yet we act. And so I think the text speaks to these beautiful tensions that we embrace. Rather than run from these tensions, if God knows everything, why do we pray? Rather than run from that, we lean into these inevitable tensions and celebrate them in the text, not as inconsistencies, but as a beauty and mystery of the Christian faith. We're going to skip the next question because on some level, we still want to appreciate your time. So I love you, Neil. Neil had a great answer prepared for that one. So if you want to hear from Neil, you can go to the next one. Yeah, absolutely. So um, cultural issues, uh, man, and these are, these are heavy, right? Like our... Our culture constantly is rubbing up against what we believe in Scripture, uh, and so how do we deal with that? Um, and so, 
Question, how do we tangibly show love and compassion to the crowds who celebrate sin and sinful lifestyles? Um, yeah, oh man, it's so heavy, so heavy. David, what you, what you got? And, and so it, it won't be a full answer, right? This is where we, none of these are, are comprehensive, but at least to try and continue to, to express where we as a community want to continue to live and move. How, how do we tangibly show love and compassion to the crowds who celebrate sin and sinful lifestyles? How, how do we love those in support of, of this LGBTQ lifestyle, those with sinful addictions, those in idolatry, choosing other things better than Jesus? And, and so here's just three reflective questions that, that might gauge where our, heart, where our hearts are at. Do, do you recognize the challenges we're facing? Uh, is there an awareness? Do you live in naivete or is there an awareness that as Bethany said, this is a spiritual world, that, that every day uh, it, it is beyond just the, the, the material and the flesh uh, that we interact with, but there is a spiritual world? Or, or do you recognize the challenges we're facing? And, and I, I, I would say in comparison, relatively young, right? I'm 38, but it sure feels like there's some significant challenges that have emerged over the past two years. Uh, and, and I, I think back just a couple years ago, killing of George Floyd, just massive riots that seem to have no repercussions, uh, this, this, this very accelerated shift towards a celebrated lifestyle that's contrary to, to, to God's uh, opening line in Genesis. How might we be aware of the challenges increasingly? And are you rooted increasingly and firmly in the joy and grace and glory of the exclusivity of Jesus? It, it could tend us to start living with this window living where I judge those around me for living with a different lifestyle. Instead, do I find confidence and security in the exclusivity of Jesus that, it, that is life in his name? And then how might we respond? I, I hope we live happily making friends with those that have yet to treasure Christ. And even here, the way I frame it, that it's not those that don't believe, it's actually, I'm just the eternal optimist, right? Those that have yet to treasure Jesus, we make friends with sinners, knowing that we are one that's been saved by grace. And so, feels like we usually respond with one of three ways. Either we look at the culture around us and we just wanna fight. We just wanna fight and start start taking up arms and, and, and fighting against flesh and blood. Or we want to flee. We're like, man, that cabin in the North Woods sounds very attractive right about now. Or, or what it feels like broadly is happening in, in the evangelical landscape, we just accept it. We, we actually start capitulating and accepting this movement uh, and moving and drifting away from the exclusivity of Jesus. Instead, what it seems Jesus models is this, and I just want to read a few verses of what we see Jesus model for us. Here's what he does. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. If Jesus is accused of being a glutton and a drunkard, by who he was choosing to associate with, there was some balance that he was able to strike where he was not light on sin and not light on grace. Matthew, or Luke, continues. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. The intimacy of table fellowship in first century Judaism, it, there's an intimacy that is implied in what he's saying. 
This man receives and eats with them. So he told the parable, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he had found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus just modeled what it looked like to get into relationship and constantly point people to life in his name through questions, through conversation, through eating. It wasn't in these massive rallies. It was how? One life at a time. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. Do, do we actually know people that have yet to treasure Jesus? Yes, <laughs> Do we engage in conversation? Do we happily cultivate friendships with those that have yet to treasure Christ? I go, there, there's our first step. How might we engage? We anchor ourselves in the exclusivity of Christ and we continue to be in relationship. And so there's a personal story I think Bethany and Neil both have in regards to this particular area. Yeah, so um, it really just building off of that, um, I just want to focus on addiction a little bit. That was one of the, one of the points up there, um, people living um, in addictive lifestyles or uh, just have a powerful addiction that they just can't seem to get away from. And just want to acknowledge that that's really difficult. That's a really um, tough thing to deal with. And for those that aren't in that situation, sometimes we just we can't understand it. We can't understand the mania that, that's, that appears so obvious to us, but... When you're in the middle of that, you just, you just don't see it, and you're completely clouded, and uh, in some cases, the, the devil just has a hold of you. And so with that said, uh, what, how do you deal with that as an onlooker, as somebody looking in? And uh, there may be a different approach uh, if that person's a believer versus not a believer. So you have to be cognizant of that and understand that. But at the same time, it, it, it's about the relationship. You're never going to have an impact if all you're doing is coming down on the person and saying, hey, you got to stop doing this, got to stop doing this. That, that's not going to probably work out really well. Um, what you really need to do is maintain that relationship, as David has highlighted. Just really build on that and continue to be encouraging whenever you can. Um, kind of the personal piece of this is uh, we have a family member who is really struggling mightily with, uh, with drugs and alcohol. And it's been a, almost a lifelong um, thing. St grew up in the church. Um, he really, uh, you know, had the right opportunity to have a solid foundation, but has strayed and has really struggled and has found himself uh, in a lot of very difficult situations, um, has been in jail several times, and all we can do is be encouraging. Every time we've had an opportunity to see him, which honestly is pretty rare, uh, because he's had to travel around and, you know, kind of find, a, uh, find his way away from troubling sources and things from where he grew up and everything. Um, but when we do see him, just try to be or talk to him, just trying to be encouraging and continue to point him towards Jesus. Just say, hey, you, you know, you know the Lord. You grew up in a household where Jesus' name was said often. Lean into him. That's where you're going to find your, your salvation. That's where you're going to find your uh, your opportunity to get out of this deep hole that you're in. And so um, it all boils down to relationships. And so just be encouraging and yeah. um, lift up. That's good. 
That's good. Well, last category, and we're just going to spend a few minutes on it, but theological issues. How do our current world national events relate to the soon return of Jesus Christ for his church uh, in the rapture? Uh, is this the end times? Which is what I think a lot of people kind of wonder, right? Just chaos and, and mm. in the midst of everything. Mm. David, what you got? Yeah, and, and, uh, it, and we'll, we'll fly through it again. Feels like it could take, could take more. But uh, uh, yeah, is this the end times? Why don't we talk more about Bible prophecy? And, uh, and so for us, um, we're just going to walk through maybe what we know and some of the complexities and then where we can find confidence. Is this the end times, man? <laughs> like I said, feels like there's some challenging circumstances. Uh, I, but I can't imagine what life would be like in the 40s in Poland. <laughs> and so just giving perspective for, for maybe what we're going through uh, in comparison to what's taken place over the history of the the world. Um, man, what, what do we know about the end times? Jesus says this, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear a voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. There is a judgment coming, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due of what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There is, like you heard Bethany say earlier, there is this uh, life with Christ, there is a judgment that comes. Uh, and so what do we do in preparation of that reality? Jesus says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. We live in light of eternity in our day-to-day -day life. And with a confidence, with an awareness, there is a judgment coming and Revelation 21 points, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away and the sea was no more. Romans 8, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willing, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We await a new heavens and a new earth, a restoration of all things. Now here's the journey of life. When's that happening? And what's it going to look like? And we spent a lot of time debating on the times and dates. And, and, and there are a variety of views. If you want to talk about these views, amillennial, postmillennial, historic, premillennial, pre-trip, pre People go all over the place with the dates and times of this stuff. If you want to talk about that, that, that feels less clear and less certain about how that's going to be. Here's what feels confident and certain. That there was a time in life we were born and then we come to faith. What happens in that moment? There's a conversion and we enter into eternal life. And then we die. And what we often associate with the new heavens and the new earth, it's this intermediate state where we're present with God, but, but not fully in this new heavens and new earth. We instead await the eternal state where Jesus returns and there is this resurrection of the dead. You heard that? The tombs open up. Now, it's why I don't believe in cremation. If you get cremated, it's not a problem. But it's why I want to be buried someday because I'm believing that there is a resurrection from the dead. What a concept. And then we enter this eternal state of a new heavens and a new earth. So what do we do in light of eternity? 
Why should we think about end times? Here's just a few reasons why you might want to consider the eternal end times in your day-to-day. We believe it actually impacts the way we think because of our assurance of the future. Well, what is end times really supposed to be doing? I think we get caught up in the dates and times and how it's all going to work. This thought about eternity is intended to instead calibrate our view about our present circumstances. Man, we get caught up in our day-to-day and our circumstances that tend to overwhelm us. This view of eternity lifts our eyes above those present circumstances, and it increases our anticipation of God's fulfillment of his glorious plan. Sometimes I look at the world and I go, God, where are you? And I get consumed that I don't understand how the plan is working out Reading Revelation and reading Daniel lift our eyes, not to debate the times and and seasons, but to lift our eyes to see God's glorious plan and to strengthen our hope and devotion to Jesus in our Monday to Saturday and to fuel our commitment to share Jesus' love with others. That's what end times is intended to communicate. And so Paul communicates this so beautifully in Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. That when we think of end times, it ought lift our eyes beyond the present to God's glorious return. So there you go, Jack. Yeah, absolutely. So we, um, we just have some just last thoughts for you. Um, First of all, I, I hope that this entire morning, the questions that we asked and the answers that we gave were encouraging, even if it's not something that um, was a question that you asked that didn't get answered, uh, or even maybe you still have questions about the answers that we gave. Um, both are welcome. To the fullest extent, we want you to continue to ask the questions because as we said, this is where the Lord draws closer to you in the questions and the doubts and the challenges. Let me pray, uh, pray us as we end our time together. Um, Father, we thank you so much for um, this space where we get to ask questions and delight in your word and see what you have for us. Um, God, we thank you for the different things, the different opportunities that our people uh, have, that as they ask questions, they can jump into life groups, and as they ask questions, they can come uh, to this panel or even to... Um, Uh, yeah, the pastors on staff here. Um, But at the very least, that they have your word, that they can stand on, that they can pray with you, asking you um, the questions that are burning on their heart. And Father, uh, we pray that as we close our time uh, singing about the proclamation of our our identity found in you, um, would you reveal more of who you are to us Would you step more fully into our lives this morning? And would we rest confidently, um, yeah, confidently in this gospel, this, this purchase of us that has made us alive with you fully. And may we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God that's been given to us. Amen.